Thank you, children of the Alleluia Choir, as they're heading to Sunday school. All right. <laughs> well, good morning, friends, and welcome to our 945 worship service on this, the third Sunday in the season of Lent. Welcome to those of you who are here in the room. Welcome to those of many more of you we know joining us online. It's good to be together in God's house. Uh, in this way. My name is James Howell. It's my privilege to be one of the pastors here. As I look around, some of you are visiting with us. We're honored that you have come. And we hope you leave us some kind of contact information so we can text you, call you, email you, something, uh, and begin the process of getting acquainted. We'd love to uh, be able to do that. So thank you for coming. I'm up front this morning with my friend and colleague, Reverend Jessica Dason. Good morning. It is good to be together. I hope that you will find ways to plug in with us during the week. Make sure in your bulletin you pull out your This Week at Myers Park. Um, this has everything that's happening this week and beyond, um, but we hope that you'll find a way to get plugged in. I do want to highlight a special event that we have coming up on the 20th, so a week from tomorrow at 7 p.m. We have a special guest author, Karen Gonzalez, um, coming to speak with us about welcome. Dr. Howell actually hosted her on his podcast. Check it out. It's wonderful. Um, but I hope that you will make plans to join us. Again, that's on the 20th at 7 p.m. in Jubilee Hall. Um, so go ahead and add that to your calendar. Friends, it is good to be together. Let us continue on in worship.
family of God, let us join our voices together as we profess our faith through the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. We worship a God who knows everything about us and loves us all the more. Friends, together let us release to God those things that keep us from knowing the fullness of God's love. Please join me in the prayer of confession. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, too hidden even to realize, and too deep to undo. Forgive what we hesitate to name, what our hearts can no longer bear. Set us free from a past that we cannot change. Open us to a future in which we can be changed and grant us grace to grow into your likeness through Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Friends, hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners that proves God's love for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. Please stand as you are able for the reading of the gospel. The Gospel reading is John chapter 4, beginning with the fifth verse. So he came to a city of Samaria near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and so Jesus, wearied as he was for, from his journey, sat down beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink for his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, 
How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. The water that I shall give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and he whom you now have is not your husband. This you said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe the hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such the Father seeks to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Christ is coming. When he comes, he will show us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then the disciples came. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but none of them said, why are you talking to her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the city and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the city and were coming to him. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of your words that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Um, I um, love uh, the Bible, admitting that it can be um, hard, it can be weird, it's not quite a page-turner, a lot of it's confusing, difficult, but then you come upon an encounter like this one, and it's so um, intimate, so hopeful, so lovely, so unexpected in a way. That's the story of Jesus. Jesus 
He's thirsty. Uh, he, he shares in our common human condition. It's really dry. He's been on a long journey. He, he's parched with thirst. Uh, he will be thirsty again when he's on the cross in a matter of weeks. He's just traveled a long journey on foot. Uh, the, uh, John 4 says that he had to go through Samaria. Now, if you've not been to Israel, that probably sounds like if you're going to Knoxville, you have to go through Asheville, right? If you're going to Knoxville, you have to go through Asheville. He had to go through Samaria. If you live in that land, anybody who heard that would say, he most certainly did not have to go through Samaria. That's the long way around. That's the hard way. You should take the Jordan River route. Why did he go through Samaria? It's difficult. Uyan Kim and some other young clergy, he was young then, not anymore, but back <laughs> when we went to Israel, uh, we made that journey, and he can attest, it's a long, windy road, rocky, hilly, it's, it's, it's arduous. You get to Samaria, you're exhausted. Jesus had to go, and today it's difficult. It's one of the most endangered places on the West Bank. You may hear in the news the place Nablus. That's right there where Jacob's well is, very difficult place. Jesus had to go there? What's that about? The Greek word translated, he had to go there, dei. I mean, it means something like there was a divine necessity, right? It wasn't the convenient way. It wasn't uh, the GPS way to go where he was going. It was the divine necessity. He had to go there because he had some work to do there. He had to go there. It was hard for him to go there. And sometimes people say to me, like, it's hard for me to find God. Maybe we can flip that and say, maybe it's hard for God to get to you. It's got to be hard for God to get to me sometimes. Maybe it's hard for God to get to the troubles of the world, but God has to go. The best line, I think, in uh, uh, that novel, The Shack, it kind of tries to play on the uh, life of uh, Jesus and the Trinity. This guy named Mac is having a conversation with Jesus, and Jesus sounds to him amazingly open-minded. So he says to him, uh, Mac says, does that mean that all roads lead to you? Jesus responds by saying, oh, no, not at all. Most roads don't lead anywhere at all. What it does mean, though, is that I will travel any road to get to you. I love that. A lot of roads don't go anywhere, but Jesus will travel any road to get to you. It's relentless. It's hard for him. He will come. Uh, the story takes place at noon, uh, the sixth hour. You can imagine the, the sharpness of the light, shadows coming directly down. And uh, Jesus is at the well. He's thirsty. And a woman comes. I love all in the Bible, we tend to think Jesus, you know, he should be speaking to big crowds of people, and he does sometimes. But on the whole, in the Bible, Jesus has one-on-one -on -one encounters. And I love those one-on-one -on -one encounters. You know, Jesus never says, I don't have time for you. I've got to address 10,000 people. Jesus stops, and he has the conversation with the one person. He's in no hurry. He's always interruptible. And in this case, it's a man talking to a woman and a lot of people, the disciples, their mind went to a dark, tawdry place. And when they saw it, they're like, oh, he's talking to a woman. Like, his mind goes somewhere crazy. They do not understand Jesus at all. These disciples, I read a commentary this week wondering what was in the woman's mind when she encounters this man. She gets to the well and he says, uh, can I have a drink? <laughs> This commentator wondered if she thought, is he flirting with me? It's an interesting idea. And it made me wonder, what is flirting 
anyway. And I wonder if flirting isn't uh, like a superficial veneer over a craving to be known, a craving for love, a craving for belonging, flirting. Uh, Jesus has a conversation with this woman, and so typical of the Bible, here's what, part of what makes you crazy about the Bible, makes it harder to love, is that so often when a man talks to a woman, we know the name of the man, the Bible does not supply us with the name of the woman, like, oh, prehistory, here we go. Just so painful, I will guarantee you, Jesus asked her her name, and Jesus spoke to her by name, just the kind of thing Jesus did even though the gospel writer doesn't favor us with the name. And he calls her by name, and then uh, her story begins to come out. She says, um, I have no husband. And it turns out she's had five husbands, and she's with a man now who is not her husband. You know, they're the, the kind of, you know, morally high people who hear that as a word of judgment, like, oh, she's had... That's what the people in the city said. Like, she's had five husbands, and now she's with a man who's not. This is not Jesus' reaction to this woman at all. Jesus hears the pain in her voice. Can you hear the pain in her voice? I've had five husbands. How did she lose them? Did they abandon her? Was she bereaved by their deaths? agonizing story this woman must have. Jesus hears her story, doesn't judge, keeps listening, shows her mercy, kindness. So beautiful. Uh, why was she coming to the well at noon? Uh, we hear that and we think, well, she wanted some water at noon. We know that in the ancient world, women generally went to the well to draw water first thing in the morning or at the end of the day. That's when they needed water, at first thing in the morning or at the end of the day. She came at noon. Women did not come to the well at noon. Why did she come to the well at noon? Maybe she knew what the other Samaritan woman, women thought of her, and she was tired of the um, cutting glances, the sighs, the snide remarks. Sometimes it's just hard to bear other people, isn't it? You'd rather go to the well alone. I was talking to a woman in our church recently. She said, I, I, what I hate about coming to church is somebody's going to say, how are you doing? How are your kids? And I just so don't want to tell them, so I make up some stuff. She goes to the well at noon. Jesus hears her story, and he has, he has mercy. He's always that way. I did think of an exception last night, though, by the way. At least now we're driving home from dinner, and I thought, you know, Jesus looks with warmth and compassion on everyone. There is an exception that I thought of, and that would be Charlotte drivers. <laughs> you know, the ones, like, the light turns red, they keep going. Jesus sees that and goes, ah! And then he loves them after that. <laughs> This woman, uh, she, she, I bet she walks around all the time with her eyes down to the ground. I bet when Jesus is talking to her, she doesn't look him in the eyes. She's looking to the ground. She's a Samaritan. They were despised people. She's a Samaritan woman. Another strike against her, but then she's a Samaritan woman who has had five husbands and is with a man who is not her husband.
So she is despised within the despised within the despised. She's got to be shocked that Jesus hangs with her, listens to her, shows warmth, compassion. He sees her. He hears her. This is the life skill that we're, if you go to church in a lifetime, what's the skill that you hope to master? It's precisely that, that we learn to look at people and not judge by their exterior circumstance, not to pass judgment on them because of whatever it is that we see. We learn to see beneath the surface. We learn to see that there's another broken person. There's another cherished by God person. We learn to ask. We learn to listen. It's so interesting. Jesus uh, asked her for a drink. (laughs) Jesus asked her for a drink. Uh, By the way, uh, Uyan and I went to the well there. Uh, There's a church that's built over it now. And uh, the water was, uh, you remember this, Uyana, the water was cold and delicious. And it's interesting to watch the guy who, who the, so you go to the well and there's, this, there's a crank and the guy takes the bucket and this well is 135 feet deep. So that's like way down to the ground. So he cranks, cranks, it takes a long time for this bucket to go down and he fills with water. It's heavy then, very hard for him to crank this thing back up. I thought about that, right? Jesus asked this woman for a drink. You think Jesus would do like, you know, the masculine heroic thing and say, honey, let me get you a drink. But instead, he says, can you get me a drink? He comes to the person who is broken, who's probably looking down at the ground, and Jesus asks her to do something, assuming she can do something, assuming that she is capable, that she has some agency. So often we do this. We see people that are poor or suffering in some way, and we say, here's what I will do for you. And so often when we do for people, they're already ashamed, and when we do for them, we only increase their shame. But Jesus doesn't avoid the woman. Woman, He says, there's something that you can do for me. Can you get this drink for me? I love that. I love that. It was hard for her. He asked her to do a hard thing for him. I thought about, uh, I've told some of you this before, it's a great story. Mr. Rogers, you know, used to come on TV, the children's show, and uh, Mr. Rogers, uh, there was a child somewhere that had acute cerebral pal- palsy. He was confined to a wheelchair, never really interacted with much of anybody. But his mother noticed that when Mr. Rogers came on the TV, the child was wrapped with attention. She made note of that. She applied for a grant and got it. Some foundation paid for Mr. Rogers to go and visit this child. And so Mr. Rogers came and he visited with the child and talked and And when he got ready to go, he took the child's hand, and uh, Mr. Rogers said to the child, would you pray for me? There was a reporter named Tom Junod who was watching, and when they went away, Tom Junod said, that was very clever of you to ask that child to pray for you. I'm I'm kind of amazed by that. And Mr. Rogers, of course, was puzzled, (laughs) never a calculating person. He said, I wasn't just doing that. He said, "I, I really wanted him to pray for me. He said, I figure anybody who's been through that much difficulty must be very close to God. So you expect Mr. Rogers to say, let me pray for you. But instead, Jesus says, would you pray 
for me, empowering the other. So beautiful. That's what Jesus did. Uh, this woman, I began, I imagine over time, he empowers her, he listens to her, he has compassion for her, he has mercy on her. I think she, her eyes begin to lift from the ground. She begins to look him in the eye. And then she goes back into the city and says, there's this guy. And you can imagine the people in the city, like they had always sort of shunned her. They would avert their gaze. But for some reason, when she tells this story, they listen to her, maybe for the first time, and they come out to see Jesus. What made them listen to her? Did she look different somehow? Because she had this new confidence because of her encounter with Jesus. Maybe for the first time, she had been treated with tenderness and respect, and it changed something in her. Maybe her message was the one thing that all the people in that village had been desperately hungry for, and they'd never heard it before. Maybe the people in that village were like so many of us. So many of us, we, we have our achieving we have our masks that we wear. We, I don't know, self-medicate. We stay busy. We have our diversions. We talk about Duke winning the ACC tournament. You know, I'm not bringing it up. It's just an example of the kind of thing. <laughs> we, 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 we have our wealth. We have whatever it is that we, we have. And, and when you, you become, who are you? Like, I'm a great guy. I'm, you know, whatever. We, we do all of that. Maybe the people in that city, were, they were just like that. But here they heard something they hadn't heard anywhere else. That is that like you, there's somebody who, who knows your story, your full story, the one that you, you don't really share with the whole world, your brokenness, your fears, what hounds you in the dark when you're alone. And, and he, he, there's mercy. Huh. The, the, there's love. You don't have to be different. You, you're, you're okay. You're, you're, God sees you in all your vulnerability. And, your beloved. I think that's what they heard. And I think this can mean so much for us. The stories in the Bible, not just because it's once upon a time, like, oh, that's sort of interesting ancient history that that happened. It, it's in the Bible because it suggests that this same encounter is available. It's there for each one of us, see, even if you don't seek it. See, God's already looking at you, and he knows your full story, and he knows the stuff that you don't tell anybody else about things you don't want anybody to ask about. Maybe you don't even know it yourself, right? Because you get so accustomed to just kind of being cool out on the surface. He sees all of who you are, and he, and he loves you, and, and he has mercy. And there's healing in that, and part of what that means is that you can revisit your past. Some of you in this room, probably your past has just been a, a, a lily garden. It just everything has just gone so swimmingly well, and you can't think of anything in your past that would need any healing. But about most of us in this room, you've done some dumb stuff. You've been wounded in your past. There are things you wish you could get a do-over on. You wish, and you can't go back. There's so many things. And what the story suggests is that you can revisit your past that that word can even <clears throat> can even change society you know some people don't want to talk about race and our past but I think about this thing that Isabel Wilkerson wrote in her great book <clears throat> cast 
She says, we need to think about our past as a people. She said, it's like when you go to the doctor. She said, a, a good doctor will not treat you until they hand you that clipboard and you have to put, well, my family has a history of diabetes. My family has a history of heart trouble. My ha family has a whatever. You tell them your family history and then the doctor knows how to treat you more properly than if it's just kind of cold. <laughs> but we, 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 our past, we, we can own it. Like it's part of the healing. It's part of what can be can be redeemed. You see, Jesus talked to this woman at noon. It's the middle of the day, and that means that a lot of the day has passed, but there's more of the day to come. It's a hopeful place, right? We revisit our past, but there's more of the day to come. Here, here's the last thing. Uh, <clears throat> Jesus talks to this woman at noon in the brightness of the day in John chapter 4. I did some extensive research this week. You're going to be very impressed. I researched the original languages and many commentaries and great scholars. And, you know, what comes right before John chapter 4 is John chapter 3. It's a funny one. John 3 is not a big scholarly thing. It's interesting. In John chapter 3, right before our passage, John chapter 4, it takes place at night. And Jesus has a conversation with Nicodemus at night in the dark. And what does he say to him? He says, you must be born again. And when you're born the first time, what happens? You're in the dark of your mother's womb and you come out into the light. I heard this this week from somebody who wasn't talking about John 3 and 4. I was, um, I said the invocation at the YWCA uh, fundraising lunch the other day. And they had this speaker, this guy named Dr. John Jackson. He gave it may have been the best talk I've ever heard in my life. And I'm picky. I've heard a lot of talks. I've given a lot of them. And uh, he gave this great talk and alluded to this kind of inadvertently. He, he told a joke, by the way. It, it wasn't in my sermon notes, but I thought of it at 8.30, and so I'll tell you guys also. It almost fits the sermon, by the way. And the joke goes like this. Father goes in to put his son to bed, and he kisses him on the head and says, Son, good night. And his son says, Daddy, could you get me a glass of water? And he says, Now, son, now you've had plenty of time to drink water. It's time to go to bed now. No. So he goes, he's about to walk through the door, and he hears his son say, Daddy, could you please get me a glass of water? And he goes back in, he says, Now, son, we talked about this. You had your chance for water, and you didn't get it. You, you're going to bed now, and if you, if you bug me again about the glass of water, I'm going to come back in here and spank you. So he goes out, he closes the door, he hears a voice from inside the room, Daddy? <laughs> he opens the door, yes. And the son says, When you come back in here to spank me, would you bring me a glass of water? <laughs> And it fits the sermon because of the persistence of getting this water that we need. Here's what John Jackson said. Not thinking about John chapter 3 and 4, but it was really good. He said, you used to be in the darkness of your mother's womb, and then you came out into the light. That was like a good point. I'm taking notes here. Then he says, now that you are out in the light, be the light. What a great line. Now that you are out in the light, be the light. Be the light. And it's always the broken people. It's always the vulnerable people. It's those who own their own woundedness and understand that that's the case with other people. They're always the ones who are able to be the light, who are able to be a blessing to other hurting people out there. They know. And what Jesus gets done there is pretty amazing. Uh, I 
A man is reconciled with a woman. A Jew is reconciled with a Samaritan. There's like peace is made there. If we could just multiply that over and over and over and over instead of passing judgment on one another. You know, the water is is pretty interesting. Uh, When Uyan and I drank from that well, I thought about it then. I thought about it since then. We drank that water. That was amazing. I remember thinking, Jesus drank from this same water. Like, wow. Jacob drank from that same water. The woman at the well drank from that same water. That was really moving to me. What I want to say to you today, oddly, is uh, science teaches us that uh, you too have drunk from that same well. This is the way water works in our ecosystem that is planet Earth. Uh, The water that is raining on us today or that came out of your spigot or is actually in your body, that water has been all over the place. See, it doesn't work that we have like Mecklenburg County water. And these are Mecklenburg County clouds that are raining on us and it comes down and it forms Mecklenburg County streams and rivers and then it goes into Mecklenburg County people and then we perspire or the water evaporates and it goes back into more Mecklenburg County clouds. That that water has been all over the earth. The oceans, the rivers, every cloud that you see, that water has been all over the place and eventually some of it has seeped into the ground into Jacob's well and it's got drawn up and drunk by people who come back here and then they... That water has just been all over the place. It is the water that connects us. It is God's gift of water that makes us one is such a gift I mean you're probably more spiritually mature than I am I come out on a day like this and it's pouring down rain and I start whining I'm like oh people won't come to church I'm not gonna get to ride my bike today I'm so spiritually mature I want to grow up one day and see the rain and think this is God's gift these raindrops that are falling on me have been all they were it's the same water that at some point fell on on Jesus (laughs) it's the same water that it's just it's been all over the place I want to become the person that you know when it rains when I see a cloud when I see a rainbow when I turn on the spigot when I get in the shower when I look at myself in the mirror composed as I am largely of water as you are when I get thirsty you get thirsty What a gift from God. You get thirsty. And God, when we're thirsty, God wants us to remember, like Isaiah 55, which says, come come to the water and drink. (laughs) It's God's grace. When it rains, Isaiah 40, you know, as the rain comes down from earth and does its work of creating life, so God's word comes down and, and isn't finished until it's done its work. In uh, Psalm 42, as a deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. When you're thirsty, Julian of Norwich, the great medieval mystic, uh, wrote these words Jesus will be thirsty until the last soul was saved and joins him in his bliss. His thirst is to have us drawn to him. So friends, I think it's a beer ad. I need to look it up. Be thirsty, my friends. Be thirsty.
friends, let us go to God in prayer together. Spirit of the living God, we gather again in your home, place of worship, to praise you. We gather in this place of worship because we are thirsty. We are thirsty for the living water that is Jesus. We trust in your love for the world and your love for us. In you, we encounter hope that persists through all things for all people. So enable each of us to hear your calling in our lives to grow into the person that you've made us to be. A person who humbly discerns what to do in the light of your will to be the light now that we have seen the light. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. May your grace be made real in us, and may that grace persevere in all circumstances. We desire to love ourselves and to love our neighbors as you love us, to love you. But we often fail. We do not see our neighbors as you see them, and we are often absent from the very places you would go. So guide our steps so that we can inhabit the space that you did and encounter the people you met. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Despite your love and your goodness, your world and your children continue to face much suffering. We face pain in our homes, in our cities, in our nation, all around the world. May we pray and act as one people to bring about healing, justice, to be the instrument of God that shares the living water with our neighbors and strangers throughout all the world. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. You know our hearts better than we do. You know our stories better than we know of our own stories. So we take time now to lift up and remember our friends and families, all those who grieve, who mourn. Be gracious unto us, unto them, unto your people, God. And in due time, mend our broken hearts redeem our brokenness. And because we believe in the ever-goodness of our Savior, because we believe in your presence with us here and now and always, we're able to pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray as we pray in one voice. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As we continue our journey onward in Lent, we are ever reminded of God's continuous goodness that enables all things in the life of our church as the ushers come forward We give thanks. Let us take this time to give that which God has first given to us. We give you thanks for your intentional generosity that enables ministries of our church. Let us receive our morning tithes.
loving and gracious God, we offer our gifts and thanksgiving for all the goodness you provide. Bless these gifts in our lives so that we become a source of goodness for others in the name of Christ, our strength and our hope. Amen.
may the grace of our risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each one of us, both now and forevermore.